Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest episode of the Adopt365 podcast. I'm your host, Barry Coons, and I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, Anthony Charman. Hello. And Megan Warren. Hi, everyone. So today's Adopt365 podcast is all about a subject that is uh, very close to everybody. Everybody is using Microsoft 365. It's all around files. It's all around your data. It's all around how to make the most out of the uh, services available in Microsoft 365, understanding just where should you be saving your documents when, uh, when do you, how do you protect your documents, how do you collaborate with others. So before we get started on that main subject, as ever, we like to kind of do a bit of a round the table um, conversation about what is the latest new feature in Microsoft 365 or maybe what is the technology we've been mo using most recently. So uh, Anthony, over to you. Right, so uh, recently there's been a, a bit of an update with the uh, Teams client uh, and some of the functionality and uh, there's been a few things snuck in there that we've been waiting for a long time. Um, and the first one of those which I was really pleased to see was that uh, We've now got different colored uh, appointments in our calendars, which are just brought through from the Outlook calendar. So it just, uh, I've always used those colors quite uh, extensively. And it's been nice to see that they've arrived in the Teams calendar. Um, the other one, which I noticed the other day, but haven't had a chance to, uh, to have a go with yet, is that uh, we've now got the walkie talkie functionality uh, in iOS. Um, I must uh, get uh, some people together and let's try that out because I hadn't quite worked out uh, how it functions. But uh, yeah, good to see those things slipping in. Oh, there's also uh, um, around the, uh, the, the kind of video meetings experience, I noticed a few buttons have moved around. It's a lot easier to uh, change the layout of your screen and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's good to see some of these things that have been talked about for a long time actually uh, dropping into the client now. Um, for me, it is um, the fact that the gallery button in Microsoft Teams uh, meetings has changed. So when you used to want to change your view or the, how your um, sort of meeting view was set out when you're in a meeting, whether it's in a gallery view or together mode or anything like that, you used to have to click the ellipsis and then go down to change yours and change it to the gallery at the top, etc. Um, now it's changing so that the gallery button is in the top left hand corner of the screen. It's a little four by four square sort of thing. Um, you click it and then you can change it very easy. It's such a simple thing um, and it's probably something that people use a lot more now that it is in a much more um, accessible place, something that people don't have to click the ellipsis because it does give you a long list of different things, which for some people can be intimidating. Um, so the fact that it's now just in its own little button in the top corner makes it a lot easier for people to use and to change their view as well. Definitely. Uh, for me, there's nothing been standout in uh, new features other than the, what you've said. Um, Anthony, I, I particularly like the categories now available in Microsoft Teams. I do find it very uh, useful. Uh, so you set up your categories inside uh, uh, Outlook um, and I find it quite useful for categorizing where I'm spending my time. So I've got one for pre-sales, one for marketing, one for senior leadership team, one for meetings with customers. And what I'm looking to see on an average week is a nice spread of colors over the week to show me that I'm kind of balancing out my time around the priorities that I have inside uh, the business. I've been spending outside of that quite a lot of time in SharePoint and we've already mentioned some of the new features I think uh, that have come into SharePoint recently like the collapsible sections and things like that. So I think at the moment we're waiting for Microsoft Ignite which we'll get onto uh, in a moment. Undoubtedly Microsoft are going to be saving up some features that are ready to be released to be released shortly afterwards and then we're going to hear about a, a slew of new features that are going to be coming over the next 
six months. Um, so for me, I'm really looking to see further maturity in inside of uh, SharePoint. Before we get, I'll just add, Sorry, I'll just add a, I'm just going to add another one in there because uh, Ian, who's one of our uh, Microsoft 365 champions, who works with one of our clients, um, uh, also mentioned earlier that ability to manage the breakout rooms a little bit more now so people can be allocated to a breakout room. They can organize their own guests in that. Um, and that's just makes it a lot easier for, for organizations like um, the Institute of Physics that uh, Ian works for to manage those bigger meetings where they often have breakout sessions for brainstorming and things of that nature. Yeah, no, I think the delegation of meeting controls is something that hopefully we're going to see maturing even more. I think certainly I think it's webinars, Megan, that if you have created a webinar in Microsoft Teams, you get lots of very insightful information about attendees and and reporting available but it's not today easy to share that with other delegated administrators or delegated meeting organizers uh, at the moment i don't think yes you get some interesting things especially with like registrations um for me in the marketing role that i'm in when we create a registration we want the team of people to be able to see who's already registered um and then again who attends there's no clear way at the moment to actually share that unless you are the meeting organizer and export it to excel and then share it via onedrive etc so that's not that slick at the moment but you do get a lot of options when you are joining things like webinars through teams that you are able to change who's able to present and all of that so there's some things that like you say, probably just need a little bit of maturing, but you can see the process that they're going through to then make them um, and improve them further down the line. Definitely. So before we get on to Ignite then, I just want to use this opportunity to remind everyone uh, of our new platform that we released uh, a couple of months ago. Um, so if you are a champion, if you're someone that helps people uh, get the most out of Microsoft 365, we launched our own platform, Adopt 365, a couple of months ago. It's a training and adoption platform full of micro segments, micro nuggets uh, of data around utilizing Microsoft 365 tools such as Teams, Planner, uh, even things like lists and power automate as well there's a mixture of those kind of step-by-step -step guides little videos the ability to search and filter for your results so if you're someone that is looking to help your organization get the most out of microsoft 365 it really is designed to work alongside your champions and your in-house trainers and to be a useful resource on top of that please get in touch with anybody on the podcast or get in touch with your computer or account manager and we can give you some more details as to how it would work for your organization give you a demonstration and help you set the way of using microsoft 365 uh, with your business and with your users so the next subject on our agenda then microsoft ignite i think this year second uh, round for microsoft ignite again unfortunately it's virtual there's no trip over to the states or anything like that or the on tour happening locally um so anthony what is your focus uh, going to be at microsoft uh, ignite which i think is next week starting next tuesday yeah, I think it starts next Tuesday. It's um, kind of primarily American time. So I think it kicks in about four o'clock in the afternoon for us here. Um, I find these kind of events, if you go in, in person or if you're watching them online, kind of fairly um, bewildering, bewildering. I find if you just wander into them and immerse yourself in them, then you come away with uh, having just missed lots of things that you'd like to know and learned lots of things you didn't really want to know. So I always set myself a bit of an objective 
um, and then go and hunt out for the um, the relevant uh, sp uh, talks to uh, help me achieve that objective. Um, first one I want to look at is Windows 11. I, uh, I found out the other day that the PC that I use at home will never work with Windows 11. So I've got to make a decision of uh, whether I'm going to get rid of that and replace it with something that will support Windows 11. Um, and therefore, I really want to look at what are the benefits that it is going to give me um, and my clients as well, because I come at it from very much a, you know, what are the business benefits of that new operating system? So that's one of the first things that I'm looking at. The second thing is this whole world of hybrid working, and there are lots of uh, streams in there about uh, hybrid working and how better to uh, support that and how Teams uh, and the Microsoft 365 environment can uh, help us do that. So I'm just going to focus on uh, you know, picking off a, a number of uh, keynotes and a number of uh, smaller uh, talks which dig into that. Um, especially around the meetings experience, about uh, around communication and collaboration, um, and I think there's uh, you know as I've gone through the catalogue of uh, of uh, events, then there are some really really good ones in there that I've uh, ticked off and added to my schedule. So yeah, Windows 11, and then just the whole hybrid. We're we're in this scenario at the moment where. You know, some organizations have gone back to the offices, some have are still working from home, and you've got this middle ground where you've got uh, lots of hybrid working going on. And that is starting to cause issues in uh, in some of my clients, starting to, uh, you know, people are feeling left out of the meeting if they're not in the office. Or in some cases, people are saying they feel like uh, if they're in the office, they're being left out and they're not uh, they're not getting the full experience as well. So they're, they're the areas that uh, I'm going to be looking at. Um, also, you know, anything that helps us get uh, Windows and, and Teams under control. Um, the big kind of key issue that I'm facing with a lot of my uh, uh, clients is sprawl whether it's team sprawl, whether it's communication sprawl, whether it's kind of file sprawl. Um, we're getting to a point where we just need to find out, you know, how to utilize the tools in Microsoft 365 to get that all back under control. And uh, therefore, I'll be looking at some of the new stuff that's coming out in uh, in compliance. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Anthony. It sounds like uh, we're probably going to be sharing some of the sessions and be interested to hear about your, your thoughts after you attend them. Uh, Megan, what's your focus going to be uh, at uh, Ignite? Um, so mine, obviously, as a um, Microsoft trainer, I'm always keen to learn more about what is going to affect the users um, and how that's going to change the way they're using the applications, etc. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for any of the sessions that are like roadmap sessions that talk about the new features that are coming within the applications within 365, because it's great to just know what's coming so that when people ask questions or want to know what's coming, at least we have a good idea of um, what's on the roadmap. So there's some really key ones that I'll be looking out for. And then like Anthony, um, I've got a few of the hybrid sessions booked in around meetings, um, around Teams telephony as well, because that is an area I see increasing um, with people using Teams calling in that. Um, and some stuff around the sort of uh, communities piece um, with well-being as well. Well-being is something that I I'm very passionate about and care a lot about, especially when I am doing the training that does come into it as well as to how people are taking care of their own well-being. Um, so stuff around um, Viva Insights is a really key thing for me. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that and seeing how that's going to be developed in the future as well. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's... Um... 
it's getting that mix right that's right for you I'm, I'm with you on the the well-being uh, side of things i think for me when it comes to microsoft ignite i've got quite a broad remit as to what i do within the organization so i don't just focus on microsoft 365 i need to have that wider experience and kind of looking at the sessions that i've gone and put into my schedule i've got a mixture of some of those that you anthony and megan um have shared very much my focus is trying to understand where the future of work is actually going to land i think as anthony mentioned we're in this bit of a strange phase at the moment that we're not all back in the office we're not all at home there's people kind of going well what is the future going to be technology is maybe not working as good as it should in the hybrid world because of maybe lack of investment or lack of um, indication as to how some of these things should work so really trying to see where that's going I think there's some technologies um, that we're going to see improved so Microsoft released a smart speaker with a company called EOS which is part of Sennheiser or used to be part of Sennheiser I believe we're going to be seeing that launched in the UK it's available in the US that should be available in the UK around Microsoft Ignite they're not able to give me an exact date um, and that's all about being able to kind of highlight who is speaking when one of the challenges being whilst you're sat at home you can't always figure out who said what in the meeting and this is able to highlight those speakers using AI and training to be able to to do that so it's interesting to see where that will go next uh, we had an interesting conversation uh, earlier around building out your Microsoft Teams rooms and the location of the room trying to think about actually do we need to rethink the rooms rather than being a table with a camera plonked underneath a telly at the end of the room to actually be more inclusive those people externally so the camera really shouldn't be at your kind of waist height uh, looking at your waist and below maybe it needs to be kind of more at eye level and you need to be sitting at the same kind of level of those uh, that are virtual to kind of rethink that hybrid meeting experience um Outside of that, for me, I'm attending some of the more developer-led sessions or the, what do Microsoft call it, the citizen developer. So things around Power Apps, designing a UI, um, being able to reference things in like the Graph API. See the Graph API as being something that is very valuable uh, to people that are using Microsoft 365. And with more data being placed into Microsoft 365 by companies, by individuals, how can we leverage that data to create real business value? So I'm gonna spend a little bit of time looking at kind of, I suppose the Power Platform, the Graph API, APIs, understanding how I can go from a, a citizen to a citizen developer on that journey to releasing value uh, for our customers. And then outside of that, for me, it's really just uh, maturing my knowledge around Azure, how companies can really leverage Azure on that migration journey. But once their data is in Microsoft Azure, um, how they can then leverage the other components around it. There's lots of very intelligent services inside of Azure that if once your virtual machines, your data are closer to those services, can you leverage them to give you real business value. Um, is there anything else on uh, Microsoft Ignite that people uh, wish to go through before we move on to the main subject of the day? Um, just for me, I think it's always key to make sure you're watching the keynote. I think last year or earlier this year, the keynote was very different when they had the sort of um, virtual, uh, what was it, the virtual reality headset, and then you went into that sort of experience. So that was really interesting, but there's always some real key nuggets of information and insight especially from Sachin and Della um, during those keynotes so I always recommend people watching that just to um, get an insight into what the conference is going to cover and also what Microsoft are looking at in future. And I think the stuff around um, Viva you you touched on this Barry but uh, you know Viva Connections is becoming quite a mature product now um, and just how you kind of use that together, you know, sh with SharePoint, um, with Yammer, 
for that organizational wide communication. I think we're seeing Yammer maturing as well um, and integrating more and more into that environment. So yeah, anything I can pick up about those uh, areas will be really useful to me. Definitely. So um, just so everyone knows, you can go to myignite.microsoft.com. You're able to register. There's no cost for it. It's free of charge. Uh, the first uh, opening session, I believe, of Satya Nandela is quarter past three GMT, or uh, I'm not sure if we're British summertime or BM, uh, BST by then. But uh, anyway, next week, Tuesday, 3.15, uh, you can watch the session. Make sure you fill up your schedule. I really like how there's a mix of live sessions and on-demand sessions this year. It means as your schedule has a gap in it, you can choose to go and fill that with an on-demand session, which is something that I think it was uh, missing last year. And I think Microsoft are doing really well with these virtual events. Each event they do, they seem to have listened. They seem to take something away from it and they seem to be tweaking it. So hopefully next year we can get back to um, uh, in-person events. It, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's going to be hybrid events. That's going to be a whole new challenge. Uh, the people aren't going to be all in the, the event and all at home. It's going to be together. So what? how do you kind of carve that up? I think it's going to be a new challenge for people that run events like, like Megan at Computer World. Um, so we need to be thinking that. So I think as we move on now, let's uh, move on to the main subject of the day. Let's talk around files and file storage in conjunction with Microsoft 365. I think we're going to start by looking at uh, two or three of the main business applications. We're going to take a look at the security options available to you to be able to uh, ensure your data is secured. Just a reminder, this isn't necessarily a technical podcast. This is designed with people that are champions for Microsoft 365. So we're going to look at the user side of this and what it means for the users but actually what goes on behind the scenes a little bit as well and then maybe uh, we can end up by just having a discussion as to Anthony how we recommend organizations approach this inside their organization look for the ways to migrate their files over um, to uh, Microsoft 365 altogether so Megan to get us started then um, in in the work that you do as a Microsoft trainer um, could you give us a insight into OneDrive what is it how should it be used? What are some interesting use cases, uh, et cetera, in the work that you do? Yeah, definitely. So um, OneDrive is your own personal file storage um, sort of platform within Microsoft 365. So if anybody has ever used anything like Dropbox before, it is Microsoft's equivalent of a platform like Dropbox. Um, great. It has the built-in security, which Anthony can cover off um, as much as he wants later. Um, so all your files are secure within um, OneDrive. And the use cases that I see OneDrive being used for are really for those files that you have for yourself. So you're not necessarily sharing them with anybody. You're not working on them and collaborating on them with anybody. You're just saving them for yourselves like everybody has. Everyone has those files. So naturally, you'll save those into your OneDrive. However, there may be instances that you are creating a document or you have a file or a folder that you want to share with somebody on an ad hoc basis, not an ongoing basis, because we'd recommend using Teams for that, which we can go on to but on an ad hoc basis, one off or just a group of people that don't necessarily need a team. Um, you can then share files and folders with those people and you can manage the access that you give people on there as well. So. It is useful for your own files. It is great for sharing files on that ad hoc basis as well um, using OneDrive. Um, there's 
amazing features and functionality within OneDrive and we could go into every one of those but I would take up this whole podcast and it would be triple the amount of time that we probably want to take of it. So a couple of things that I love about OneDrive and that I recommend people go in and sort of look at if they're not aware of the features within here are one the version history within um, OneDrive when you save files to your OneDrive being able to go in there and view the version history is in it is just I can't even explain how useful it is the, the amount of times that I've either saved over a document and thought oh no I've just got rid of three pages worth of work going back to that previous version and finding that is really useful and that's also really useful not only on your own individual basis but when you are sharing those ad hoc files for example me and Anthony are working on a document and he gets rid of some information I can go back I can find that information I can either restore it compare the different versions and choose which one I want to use. So I love the version history within OneDrive and the fact that whilst it's auto saving, every time it's saving that new version for you. Um, another thing is the managing access, like I spoke about a moment ago, when you are sharing your files with people, being able to actually decipher what access you want to give them, whether you want them to be read only or whether you want to just share a link with people or you want to share it with specific people. And then you can also do things like setting passwords. So um, we can set a password to make sure that they are the right person, they have the password to be able to access it. And you can set expiration dates as well. So um, there may be times that you want to share an ad hoc file with somebody for a week maximum. You can set an expiration date. If they click on the link that you shared it with them after that expiration date, they can't access it. It just gives it that little bit more security. It makes, um, you can make sure that you have all of that set and you can have the confidence to use it without worrying about that and the wrong people having it. And then the last thing I'd probably say is just around the use case to request files. Um, it's something that is quite niche in a use case when people need to use it, but you can set up folders in your OneDrive, set it up as a request file and you can share that with external people. Um, so if you're requesting them to send you files, um, they can add it to this folder. It will actually alert you when something has been added to that folder. And that's a great way for you to receive files from people and actually gather all that information um, in that one place as well. So there's a lot more I could talk about. Um, there's some of my key sort of features that I really recommend people look at, explore if you haven't explored them before um, and sort of test out when you're looking to use OneDrive as well. Fantastic. I think, Megan, there was uh, was there an example when you're working with one customer who needed to annotate some PDFs and you found some good annotation features when used with a mobile device, was it? Yeah, definitely. So um, obviously you can open up OneDrive in um, on your desktop if you're using a laptop in the sort of browser version. But you can also have a OneDrive application on a mobile device like a phone, a tablet or something. Um, for me, using it on a tablet like an iPad with a stylus and opening up a Word document meant that I was able to use my stylus to actually draw over the document. Now for me, that was a lot better. I was probably on the go at the time. It was a lot easier for me to recommend that way and for other people to do that because they could annotate it using the draw functionality that you have within that application rather than trying to type it, which to be honest, isn't the easiest when you're on a wobbly train using an iPad. It's a lot easier to use a stylus. So yeah, I recommend getting the OneDrive application and then using the draw functionality to annotate um, either PDFs or Word documents within OneDrive on that uh, device. 
definitely. Um, Anthony, I might be putting you um, on, on, on the edge here, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, previously, when we've spoken about file storage locations inside Microsoft 365, you've got a bit of an analogy as to each of the different types of files, where they map back to where you would have stored them back in the day, 30 years ago in your office kind of thing. So you've got that OneDrive. Where would that relate to around uh, where you're storing your files before digital times? Um, God, you do put me on the on the spot here, don't you? I mean, it, that, for, for me, those are the files that lie all over my desk on bits of paper. Um, but it's those ones that are in the, um, you know, in, in your own little, in your drawers next to your... Uh, 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 next to your desk, the ones that you're using yourself. And that's really the point I was going to just come and, and make here is that when we have, you know, OneDrive and we have other places we can store things, it's really important that we put a storage strategy together within an organization because what you don't want is the file that everyone that you've shared with everyone that we've all been co-authoring a document on um, to actually be on your OneDrive um, and stay on your OneDrive. Because if you leave the organization or if you, um, you know, if, if that it becomes a, a business critical bit of information in your organization, then it, do, it belongs somewhere more central and, uh, you know, and it should be there. So, yeah, uh, each of these different storage areas that we talk about um, needs to be reflected in your storage strategy. So for me, you know, in my OneDrive, I have a personal folder where I just put stuff, personal stuff that is only relevant to me. Um, if I, if Megan and I are working on a document together, it really should belong in our team, in our kind of hub for um, uh, for communication and, and collaboration um, for that team. Sometimes I find that they sit in my uh, my OneDrive, um, and then I have to remember to move them to somewhere relevant. Um, but yeah, we should always have a kind of documented storage strategy to to decide where things should be saved. Definitely, some some good points there, and you remembered the analogy that I was thinking of. So, so yeah, I think it's those personal files. I think one of the challenges that I see, and I think we'll probably segue here before going on to Teams and SharePoint, because Anthony, you make a good point. Um, I think what we see most organizations do is OneDrive is a tool that is available to users quite quickly in the Microsoft 365 journey, whether they discover it or whether they're trained to use it as part of Microsoft Teams. And this leads to it becoming a temporary location where people then start putting files prior to Teams or SharePoint being rolled out. So very often you see very important documents being moved to SharePoint, being created by executives in the business, being put into their SharePoint and shared with others. And if they then leave the business and those files are not allocated to another user, they will just naturally be deleted uh, as, as part of the life cycle of what's going on there. So, so Anthony, around a storage strategy, before I get on and talk about Teams and SharePoint a little bit more, if you're going into an organization and you're going to create a storage strategy, do you want to kind of just give a bit of information as to how you approach creating that strategy, what things you will look for to how they're working today, how they want to work tomorrow to help create that structure a little bit? Um, yeah, it's always a, a bit of a discovery exercise to start with. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm just clicked open on my uh, other screen there, my my OneDrive, and I've just kind of had at a quick glance about eighty percent of the stuff that I've in my, got in my OneDrive doesn't really belong there. Shouldn't really be there. It should be somewhere else. So uh, I'm I'm guilty on that. Um, but you know, when we 
start to build a storage strategy for people, we look at the different buckets of storage that they've got available to them, whether it be their OneDrive, whether it be a file um, link on, you know, a link to files within a channel um, within Teams, whether it be a SharePoint, uh, a SharePoint repository, or whether it be, you know, somewhere like Yammer, where we're storing kind of company-wide policies. And we just look at those different locations and how they're being used at the moment and map them to their new cloud-based areas. So it would be, you know, a lot of organizations, we work a lot in the legal sector and the accounting sector, will have a document management system, which is linked to their, their clients, um, which, you know, for every document to do with a particular client is sat in there. So that's their existing line of business application. Um, and often we're not trying to replace that. What we might do in the future is if they've got a, uh, you know, a cloud first uh, policy around stuff is look for an equivalent line of business system that is cloud based. Um, but what we don't want to do is to replace that with storage within teams or you know, departmental teams or client teams. Um, so, yeah, we look at all of those buckets. We look at where, where they would be relevant. We um, kind of we would then map those across and create a document and review that and make sure that uh, we've covered everything in those areas so uh, yeah that's the approach we take definitely so i think the, the really important thing here is that it is an intentional migration with a strategy behind it rather than an accidental migration and i think with lots of organizations we see the accidental migration um certainly anthony i know that you and i have worked with some organizations where OneDrive has become the department share and i know megan that has as well with you as well that you, you'll be going in with an organization that's maybe been using 365 for a while and you'll find that all of a sudden all the marketing documents are actually shared from Debbie's uh, marketing folder that she created and all the files have been put in there but they haven't used Teams, they haven't used um, SharePoint. So to, to wrap up on the OneDrive uh, piece then before I move on to Teams and SharePoint, Megan I think you had a kind of uh, a nice segue question a little bit from, from OneDrive into to Teams and SharePoint. Yeah, definitely. And I think it comes into those people that we just spoke about who have used OneDrive before, um, before they set up Teams and all of that. And they've started creating files, folders, and they have almost a workflow of how they work using OneDrive. I suppose the question um, for users would be if they have been using OneDrive, if they have been creating documents in OneDrive and they have that workflow, how do they know when is the right time to move it all to Teams, either moving everything to Teams or just that one file, what is the sort of line that they get to then they then need to think, actually, no, this needs to go on Teams. It's, yeah, I think it can be quite confusing us to know when to do that. So I'll let you still I, I answer that one. <laughs> From my perspective, I think it's a really interesting question. I don't know that there's a single right answer to it, potentially. From my perspective, what I like to think about is OneDrive is personal. It is personal to me. It's something that I am working on. I'm not ready to be sharing it with the rest of the business. I may be happy to share it with Anthony because I want him to give me an opinion on it, but that is a personal opinion based upon something that I'm working on, or it's a, an input from something we're working on together prior to releasing it to a wider team. From my perspective, if something is a company asset, if it is something that you have created for the company, if it's a report that you've created for the customer, at the point where it's actually really owned by the business, it should no longer exist in your OneDrive. And you may have a personal strategy as to wherever you keep them, the draft versions in OneDrive and then move the production version. I'd probably look at your strategy around you can actually move those files or copy and then delete the original or something like that. But I don't think there is a 
single answer to that. I think that it is depending on the situation and the workflow that happens. Anthony, I don't know if you've come across any other um, definitions or given any advice as to when the cutoff comes in a document lifecycle between OneDrive and Team slash SharePoint. I think, I mean, one of the things we'll cover later is document retention policies. Um, um, I would recommend a fairly aggressive um, document retention policy um, on OneDrive so that people know that it will be deleted from there uh, or, you know, archived from there after three months. So it just is there to encourage people to not leave stuff there that shouldn't be there. Um, it's, uh, you know, otherwise it will get out of control. I mean, one of the challenges that I'm having generally with a lot of clients is uh, the, the number of times we're having to use the word sprawl. It's like file sprawl, it's team sprawl, it's channel sprawl, it's power app and uh, power platform application sprawl at the moment. And we're constantly wrestling to get those things under control. Um, and uh, and therefore, I think, you know, just one of the recommendations is put in a fairly aggressive uh, deletion policy on OneDrive and make sure that um, that pe people don't leave stuff there. And there's a lot we can do in the compliance dashboard to make sure that documents with, um, um, with you know, with personal identifiable information and, and things like that uh, are not stored in OneDrives or are flagged if they're stored in OneDrives. So, uh, yeah. Just keep it to personal stuff and work in progress. Three months sounds terrifying, and I would definitely lose some of my files. Maybe we should extend it a little bit for me there, Anthony. I'm definitely with Megan. I think it's very difficult balance between, and this has been a, this has been a, I don't want to say lifelong, but certainly in my professional career, it's it's been a continual battle with uh, users and the, the customers that we work with around, look, we're cre keeping data that is just far old. People don't tidy up after themselves. What do we do? How can we archive it? How can we delete it? I think it's one of those things that is a very difficult strategy to get right and, and to implement correctly, which often just means people don't do anything they don't delete any data they don't set the retention policies and they they end up with sprawl so i think it's a very careful balancing act that needs to be set between usability and um compliance and uh, and things like that so and there's risk a lot of risk there as well i mean the worst thing is that you you work on a document in pro you know work in progress in OneDrive. maybe megan and i are developing you know training course or something like that we then go right this is ready to upload into uh, uh kind of training content the problem is we you know we may then continue to modify it there and then all of a sudden i'll go into word and pick up my latest version of that that i've used and it's the one on my OneDrive, and i've lost a lot of content so uh, it's really really important to get those controls in place i know we all love the technology that we work with but you do have to go back to some good old manual business rules sometimes to keep the thing under control definitely so I think as we move on from those personal files then, and we, we've, we've had a segue there around how to create your storage strategy and some of the considerations, the next logical place that we've been talking about then is where you store your team files uh, or do your department files or your project files, the files that belong to a group of people that come together for a specific reason. And then outside of that, we've probably got the wider collection of files, the kind of company-wide files, whether that is policies, whether that is knowledge bases or, or, or things 
like that. So let me just break it down into sections. And first of all, look at these team or group files that you're creating. And the natural place that we see people moving those to today is Microsoft Teams into the file section of the relevant teams for the relevant groups or projects or departments of people that are coming together. Now, hopefully everyone that's listening will know when you're putting your files into Microsoft Teams, they are actually being stored in SharePoint. So you're just able to view them through Microsoft Teams and there's a there's a link behind uh, the scenes for that. Um, so using your storage strategy that Anthony mentioned, you might find that you have a network share today. So when you go into my computer, you might have a K drive or a H drive or a Z drive. There will be a piece of work to move those files from that location into a relevant team for your department um, where they can be stored there. They are secured by the security that is available to the team. So if only the marketing team can access that team, they'll only be able to access the files as standard, there are ways you can get around that if you want to, but as standard, only that team will be able to access it. If it's a company-wide team or a team that is a public team, people will be able to dip into it. So maybe at Computer World, we have a sales team where we have a lot of information about the products that we sell. And if anyone else wishes to go in there and go and have a look at those that information, that is open to everyone. It's not um, confidential information that is stored there, it's product information. So that's more of a public team where people can go and access that. And it's important to point out that you can either access that from the team or directly from SharePoint. The benefits of having it associated with a team and in a team is the ability to add context to it. So if it's a marketing file and it's saved into the marketing team, which in turn is actually in the SharePoint uh, marketing site, you can have those comments through Teams about that file. So I can go, hi, Megan, please could you update this file? This um, uh, element needs adding to it now. Megan could let me know that's done. We could have a whole conversation around that file. And then anyone that is accessing that will be able to see that whole threaded conversation to understand where uh, that is, um, what the life cycle of that file has been. Or if they want further information, they could go at Megan, is this suitable to send to a customer that's looking for X, Y, and Z? So I really like the fact that when you are in um, uh, managing those files in Microsoft Teams, you get that further context available to you. But of course, you also get the full functionality of SharePoint as well. So things like Megan mentions, you can do version control. You can see those previous versions. You're able to open that in Word, PowerPoint, and Excel and collaborate with others on it. No longer do you need to be sending files around. Um, and it's even possible to open those files in SharePoint or go and view the files view in SharePoint. So you can do all kinds of advanced features and functionality like the the ability to add metadata to files. So if you have a very structured um, set of files that have version control or have owners associated with it or are aligned to specific verticals you work with, it is possible to add further metadata to help people find files that are relevant to them. Today, those features are only available in SharePoint, but I believe Microsoft are about to release a feature that is bringing together those SharePoint features directly into Microsoft uh, Teams from that perspective. Um, Anthony, in terms of those team-based files in Microsoft Teams, is there anything else that, that you think we should be adding around that specific use case? I think um, the only thing I'd add to that is um, at the moment, the kind of the file searching in Teams isn't as good as uh, as we're used to. So just using the OneDrive um, sync client to surface those Teams back in uh, in um, Windows Explorer um, is really re a really really useful way to make make sure there's not too much change for the users. 
So bringing those drives back into uh, into Windows in Explorer in a way in which they can search them in the way they used to um, just makes it very, very easy for the users to understand, uh, you know, or to access their files without having to understand what's gone on in the background. So, uh, yeah, that's useful. Definitely. I think it's a really interesting point, actually. It's one that I come across quite often. Um, the sync client is certainly one option. And one of the benefits of the sync client is it doesn't actually synchronize the files unless you tell it to synchronize the files. They're just viewable inside Windows Explorer. There's another feature that I find very few people are actually knowledgeable about. And this is, let's say you're part of a uh, sales team. If you go into Microsoft Teams and go into the sales team, um, you are able to then go into open in SharePoint. And when you open in SharePoint, it will open the Teams SharePoint site that is associated with that team. In the top right is a little star icon that says follow, or it might say not following. Click that and click follow. Now, when you go into Word, when you go into Excel, when you go into PowerPoint, when you go into open or save, select sites inside of there, and you will see the list of SharePoint sites that you follow directly there. And that means that you can now open and save your documents directly to your team straight from Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. No need to do horrible things like save it onto your desktop and then copy it up to SharePoint, which I've seen users doing. Um, and it also means you can search for those files a lot easier inside those applications. And the other thing that I find really useful, and in fact, Ian from our Champions community mentioned it as well, is the ability to, um, on office.com, to search for those files. And that's my standard. Generally, if I'm looking for a file, I start at office.com or the Office app, which is actually even easier. You click Start you type office and it actually opens office.com but in an app so it's quicker to access so inside of there if you're looking for a file search for it inside of there you can filter it down as you need to and if you are really really struggling to find something you could also use bing so go to bing sign in with your work details and you can then search for all your files as well as your team's messages using bing.com that's a really useful feature for being able to find the files that are important to you yeah, I think um, we're getting to that situation where now we're so people are so committed to the Microsoft 365 environment, um, and we're get, getting regular questions into help desks saying, "I can't find this file. I don't know where it is." And those method, methods that uh, Barry has just method, uh, mentioned are the way to find files in this environment. And also, um, you know, back to your your storage strategy. If people are obeying that, then uh, it will become obvious where things are going to be saved. I think there is one area that is kind of associated with this around the kind of department files or team files or project files, and that is the transient file locations for, for files. So we've got transient and non-transient. So non-transient, the ones that are always there, your, your department uh, file, the long-running groups that are a part of a business. You then have projects. They're more transient. They will appear, they will have a life cycle, and they will end. I think there needs to be a lot of thought around how you handle these inside your business. What happens when that project is created? Who creates the project team that is associated with it? Is it created as a channel inside of existing department? And where the files go throughout the life cycle of the project? Are they saved inside that project team? Are they saved inside some other location for reference? And what happens once that project is finished? Is the team deleted? What happens to the information inside of it? I think this is a big challenge that we're seeing a lot of people uh, that are seeing teams sprawl tackling now? How do we kind of 
handle projects and other things inside the organization. There's a number of ways you can handle that. We've got some very good uh, customers that use Power Automate to be able to automate that lifecycle and what happens with it. Um, and we at Computer World have recently onboarded a product that helps with the full lifecycle, including archiving of those projects and the files that are associated with them afterwards. But that's one thing that if you're a champion inside your business, maybe consider how you're going to handle projects, not just from the creation of the team, but what happens at the end of the project? How do you keep that in information safe and secure. And then the final area that I think I just want to go into is those company-wide files. So where do you put your policies, your procedures, your knowledge bases? Um, and I think this is really where SharePoint or Viva Connections, as it's kind of being co-branded now, really comes in. Lots of those things will be associated with repositories on an intranet, certainly policies and procedures. Maybe that is a, uh, is it a spoke site associated with the hub site of the intranet, where you can pull those files through. Um, use your metadata to set dates when it's due for a re review, set up Power Automate to uh, let the owner know uh, when the file needs to be reviewed or replaced, set up views. So only fully published uh, files are viewable to end users and not those that are now expired or in draft status. But you could also look to set up other repositories, other SharePoint sites associated with 365 groups and certainly something Ian in the Champions community um, was talking about they found useful in terms of being able to create the relevant repositories for things that really sit out side of those heavily manicured documents that companies do. And, and I think my final point on this is you actually don't need to move all of your files into Microsoft 365. That's kind of going, well, I've got the tool. How do I make it fit around the problem that I've got? For some organizations, having file servers on-premises and network shares will be exactly the right thing to do. For other users, having Dropbox for a certain use case will be the right thing to do. For other organizations, there's uh, things inside Azure, like Azure Files, that are the great repositories of data to be able to store files, that will be the right thing to do. So my recommendation would be to start with that storage strategy and flow that down throughout the business. I know, Megan, you've come across organizations that use Dropbox and things like that, and you've been able to integrate Teams with it and things like that. Yeah, definitely, Barry. Um, so there's definitely some people who will need to use Dropbox um, and will have so many files on there that it's just not worth moving them all over to OneDrive because Dropbox is that right place for it. But there is the way that you can add Dropbox as your sort of cloud file storage um, location within Teams um, so that they're still able to use Teams as that platform where they access everything within their Teams, but actually the place that they're saving their files is still through Dropbox but Teams is still that place they go to to access everything. Definitely. I think this is about Teams being flexible to work around the way that people want to be able to work. Um, and certainly the example there, someone like a marketing team that is working with Dropbox with external agencies, it allows them for that flexibility to be able to add that. As part of your storage strategy, you should be reviewing with departments their needs for specific services, making sure that you have the appropriate versions of Dropbox to make sure it's not a personal account, that it is a business account, and make sure that it is fully secured from that perspective. But it certainly uh, it, it is possible. So, Anthony, I, let's. I would just sorry, go on. Say, I would just say though, if you're not already using Dropbox, if there isn't that sort of legacy use of Dropbox, OneDrive is the right platform because of the built-in security, because it is part of Microsoft 365. Just bringing it into all that Microsoft applications and having OneDrive, I would recommend as the way to go. But if there is that legacy use case of Dropbox, then continue using it. But I would always recommend. OneDrive if possible. 
Definitely. So Anthony, you've been spending quite a lot of time recently kind of looking at the next phase of this journey that many people do, which if, you, if you've not started a file migration at all, maybe should be the first stage. And this is all around sort of security and governance and compliance around files. So you just want to give us a little bit of an insight from a, from a champion perspective of some of the things that are possible in 365 and how you go about considering them. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start with a quick history lesson. When I got involved with the computing a long time ago, your your uh, computer was sat in an office somewhere. It was a big box, um, and all of your digital information was stored within that box. Um, and uh, the only way to access it was dumb terminals that were attached down physical wires. Um, and you know, IT security in those days was you lock the door before you leave the office, um, and no one could get to that information. Um, that that's changed a lot now, uh, and especially you know, oh well, up, up until quite recently, that's that's been the case. We've had server rooms, um, and you could lock the door, um, and uh, you know, you could uh, secure the information in there. Then the internet came along, and we started dropping internet connections, you know, in. Uh, and at that, that point, we could protect all our information with perimeter security. So we put a firewall in place to stop people getting in who weren't authorized. Um, you would, um, you know, put some web scanning software in there to make sure that you know people couldn't go outside the organization and, and access places that were uh, were dangerous. Uh, and we'd put protection in around viruses, but we just do that at the perimeter level. Now we're moving all our data and really to unlock. Uh, the real benefits of Microsoft 365, things like being able to collaborate on documents, um, you know, to, in order to do that uh, and to share them with people who are part of our organization but are based outside of our organization. Um, in order to do that, we need to look at how we uh, deliver security. And the great thing about Microsoft 365 is that all of the functionality within the, in there sits within an umbrella of security. I'm just going to pick on kind of three areas that uh, I've been to, doing some work with uh, our clients on at the moment. First one is, is data loss pre prevention. How do we stop information um, from going outside of our organization when a lot of it's already outside of our organization? It's already sat within the Microsoft cloud. Um, and that's where we configure um, DLP or data loss protection. Um, there you know, in the old days, we could have a perimeter device that just looks at every email that goes out um, and, and checks that there's no credit card numbers in there or no personal identifiable information in there. But that information isn't going outside our organization. That's already out there. Um, so we need to implement DLP within the cloud. Uh, and the Microsoft DLP solution is very sophisticated and very mature. And it's not just covering which emails are going outside our organization. It's looking at all of the other communication channels that we have. It's what's being um, spoken about on uh, on Yammer, what's going out through uh, Teams chat um, with external organizations, and of course, internal as well, what information's going within our organization. So if I'm sending my um, credit card to Megan, totally you know, a, a communication on a, a Teams chat, totally within our uh, organization, it can still pick that up and say, hang on a minute, you shouldn't be sending that information. And there are lots and lots of predefined categories available to us of uh, what is sensitive information. Um, things like national insurance numbers, driving license numbers, it will automatically identify those for us. And uh, we can put policies in place to stop that information being communicated to the organization or just to monitor it through the uh, compliance dashboard. So that's that's DLP. 
Um, and it really is, um, you know, it, it needs to be done because we can't just have a perimeter deal, um, data loss prevention solution anymore. We need something that's sat and embedded within Microsoft's cloud. The next thing, uh, the next area I was just going to touch on uh, is um, Azure Information Protection. So now I can send a document which is in my cloud storage. I can send that to a totally separate organization and someone who works in that organization. Um, but at the same time, I can label that document so that I can control how they can use it. I can send an email, um, and if it's labeled with a category within AIP, um, that means it can't be forwarded um, to anyone else other than the person I'm sending it to. Um, then those those rules are still policed when that document is sat outside of my organization. Um, and that's very, very important to uh, enable us to protect information that we're sending to third parties. Um, so um, is your information protection? It's a big subject. It needs a lot of careful planning, but it will enable us to uh, protect those documents, uh, ensure that they can't be forwarded, can't be um, uh, copied. Um, even to the point that if I try and share them in uh, any kind of meeting or you know teams meeting especially um, it won't act, it won't allow me to uh, show the content of that document on the screen to a third party um, so yeah a lot of planning needs to go in behind that or choosing your information categories um, but uh, that offers that really high level of protection not just to documents while they're inside your organization but those labels travel with them outside of the organization and continue to uh, protect those documents so that's uh, the second one i was going to look at the third one uh, is uh, document retention so there's some significant uh, you know a, a very comprehensive document retention um, solution within uh, microsoft 365 but one of the, the big issues this always brings up is where we start uh, with it, especially when we start to talk about document um, and information uh, migration. If we've got it on an internal storage device at the moment, um, then we need to think about what we're going to transfer into the cloud. Because to you know, most of the organizations that I talk to have never deleted a document that they've created other than by mistake. Um, you know, uh, we've probably got 10 or 15 years worth of uh, of data. I know Computer World are probably, uh, you know, a bit of a, you fall into this trap as well. I think when I went back and did some work uh, on an internal project to migrate us to the cloud, I found our five previous uh, branding version, you know, versions of brandings that have been done by various marketing companies. I could uh, go back and recreate letterheads from years ago. Um, and we'd been storing all that information. And there's a, there's a couple of downsides to storing stuff that you don't need to store. First of all, it's a risk. If it was a document that then uh, you know got involved in a, a legal case um, that you'd held on to for, for a long time, you didn't necessarily um, need to, then that could uh, you know be a risk to your organization. You're also paying to back that stuff up all the time. Um, you, you know, there's costs involved in, uh, in, in the old days in tapes and things like that to back up information that your organization's never going to use. So uh, you need to think about that. There's also risk involved in deleting stuff that you need to retain for legal purposes as well. So accounting information and other legal information. And what the uh, Microsoft document retention policy allows you to do is to set policies 
on individual documents or on document storage areas, um, which allow you to comply with those policies. Um, that covers uh, stuff that's in your OneDrive, um, emails, chats, um, and actual documents that are held anywhere within the organization. Um, it's a really comprehensive uh, solution. It's been enhanced recently with um, what they've called a new functionality that came in last month called Adaptive Scopes, which makes it a lot easier for me to say, look, if a document's got this information in it um, and it's to do with this particular subject or it's stored in this particular team, then automatically apply this retention policy to it. So when I create new teams, the policies are automatically applied to those teams based on, uh, on attributes that are held within the system. So they're, they're the three areas I was going to look at. Um, data loss prevention, um, Azure information protection, um, and document retention. Each of those things needs careful planning, um, but each of them are really comprehensive solutions that need to be put in place, um, really because our data is no longer sat within our organizational boundaries. It's held in a Microsoft cloud and uh, therefore we need to create those boundaries electronically and monitor those uh, those boundaries electronically rather than uh, with perimeter solutions and with physical security i think it's it's really important so to be considering those elements and it's an area that i often see being overlooked that the the focus is on getting the features out to the users getting the migration completed and not necessarily on what needs to change from a security perspective from the old way the documents were stored and accessed to the more modern way um, and i think for those of you that are watching uh, or listening um, that are maybe champions or power users for microsoft 365 my recommendation would be to bring together your fellow uh, colleagues uh, whether that's power users or, or uh, champions and discuss the security of your files discuss what is needed come up with kind of look these are the classifications of data that we store with inside our business then reach out to your IT team or, or someone like us here uh, at Computable to discuss actually how do we secure this data based upon these classifications that have been created um, Microsoft has all the tools but it can't automatically put them in place to do it there's lots of security in by standard but once those files are out there in the public Public, they can be used in a number of different ways. And I think there are a number of features also available to users that it's very important to, to be educating people on. So when uh, you are sharing documents with people, I think, Megan, it's, it's when you click share, you can then go view, view who has, has access to this or something like this inside the documents, I believe. Yeah, so you can manage the access and see who you've currently already shared it with. At that point, you can revoke their access if you don't want them to have access to it anymore. Um, you're able to see what access you've given them. So if they can edit it or if they can just view it and you again, you can edit that. So if I shared it with you, Barry, and I gave you editing rights and now actually I don't want you to edit it. I just want you to view it. I can go back in, manage that access and just give it to you so you can view it. So you're always able to amend, revoke access and manage that access to make sure the right people have it at the right time and have the right level of access to it as well. I think that's really important. There are certainly some features in there and something that I always recommend and I've seen that Ian from our champions also uh, speaks about as well. The first option that I think is available is to create a sharing link. And I think by default, that is an editable public sharing link. In my mind, that's the most unsecure way to be sharing a, a file. Effectively, that means anybody, irrespective of the location or organization they work for, if they get that link by somehow shape or means, they can click it and access your document. So if that feature is available, 
think about actually should you be speaking to IT and getting the feature turned off as a starting point maybe get it turned off uh, outside your organization but you could allow it inside your organization if you're going to use it think actually what is this document am I happy for anybody anywhere to get this link and be able to view the document so maybe if it was a marketing document it's something that was being released to the public anyway you might be okay with that but if it's the your profit and loss spreadsheet uh, as, as a, a group of board directors or something like that it's probably something that's very confidential or in hr a list of employees details or something like that you certainly would never want to share it using those mechanisms share it using specific people with the details that are associated uh, with that i think something that's um quite good to mention here as well is if you are sharing something with people and then you almost attach it to an email if you've used the share with specific um, people option and then you attach that to an email if the wrong person is on the email or you haven't shared it with that person Outlook will actually flag that to you and say people in this email don't have access to the document you're trying to share at that point you can either realize you're you put in the wrong recipient in the uh two box which to be honest everyone's done and then try to um access or get that email back um or it can show that you've actually shared it with the wrong person as well which then highlights that to you so it is really important and it does add that extra layer of just checking all of that for you when you are sharing it via an email or something like that as well so we've gone through an awful lot in this podcast i think this is possibly our longest uh, podcast ever anthony i think was reflecting the other day that all our podcasts are generally 45 minutes and i think we're approaching around about an hour probably by uh, this point so let me just try and summarize where we are i think the the best place to start is your storage strategy sit down with your colleagues sit down with your users get someone like uh, anthony at computer world involved if it's relevant to you and think about actually where your files are stored today what is needed in the future of your business what is shared at a company level what's shared at a team level what's shared at a group level what's shared at a project level you want to design your storage strategy to take all those things into consideration also considering the full life cycle of those files so where there's things like a project what happens at the end of the project where do those files go think about the security who should go have access to it what classification is the data and how do we need to protect that data how are we going to be advising people to use the different platforms so when should they use OneDrive for their personal data when should they use Teams and SharePoint and when are we going to have company-wide repositories using something like SharePoint point an area that we haven't really touched in at all is the data that sits outside of files so we can have things like lists we can have things like um, pages on SharePoint sites um, there's a number of different technologies around this like um, project syntax and Viva topics that can also help you with your data so this is probably one of the the biggest uh, sessions the biggest uh, areas of Microsoft 365 that we often see people getting wrong where there is confusion where people don't know how to find their files where people there is an edge education element there is a business strategy element as well um so megan anthony have you got any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up uh, this podcast then no my only comment only bit of advice is when you are sharing things just double check who you're sharing them with just make sure you're sharing them with the right people but no on that that's it from me probably just on the uh, back to ignite decide what you want to learn and uh, go and find those things. Just uh, don't uh, virtually wander in there and uh, expect to find the answers to things. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, I can remember the first time I ever went to uh, VMworld 
Um, I just thought I could wander in there and listen to everything, but there's just too much going on. So uh, make a purposeful plan of what you want to achieve from it and then go and find those sessions. Um, and as Barry said, the, the great mixture of kind of real-time sessions um, and um, recorded sessions, you can uh, create yourself a, a good Ignite and uh, learn what you want to. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much both for joining uh, me today on the Dot365 podcast. And thank you to our Champions community that join us before uh, these podcasts to help us really think about what we want to talk about. We're probably going to do something a little bit different next time. So um, at Microsoft Ignite, we're going to have a wrap-up session. We might see if we can get a few other people to join us, see what they thought about it uh, as well. And a final reminder that if you're looking at subjects like how you should be sharing your files, how to do sharing files, how to look at permissions, then think about the Dot365 training and adoption platform it will help your users cement in their mind how they should be using these platforms how to share files securely and it's really good to be leveraging alongside your adoption program inside your organization thank you for listening we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast